Are you there? Are you there again, my friends? I suppose there's no way for me to know. I suppose I'm just speaking out into a void. I used to think I was before when I was safe and home and with a computer and a microphone, but now... Now it's quite literal, you see. Now I'm just... talking. Hoping I reach you. I feel that I am. Somehow, deep down, I feel that I'm reaching you. But maybe that belief has been misplaced from the beginning. Who can know? One can care, but one cannot know. Can you tell me how long it's been since I arrived here? It feels like years. This defeat has been difficult. I still ache from the battle. My eyes have grown lethargic and dull from the pitch black all around me. If only I could make out something, even faintly. But there's nothing to see. And this would not be bad if I could hear someone, feel something. But I can't. I can't even feel a floor beneath me. It is the worst prison I can imagine, because there's nothing to imagine. It's all right. I'll get out of here. Soon. I will. You know I will. I think... I'm not sure. It's hard to know for sure because I'm disoriented, weak, more confused than usual, perhaps. But I think, I think I have a story for you. Let me try and recall one. How difficult memory is when there is nothing to prompt it. Oh, yes. I can almost see it. In my mind, which too has been black as pitch lately, I'm starting to see a face. A face I once met and spoke with. A face I collected, here, in my memory, where there is a face and a storm. Once upon a time there was a priest who lived in a little church on the outskirts of a large city, old and strong with wooden buildings and stone monuments. He was an old man, and had lived and served in this tiny church for almost fifty years of his long, dedicated life. He was a good priest, kind to every person he encountered, and at the beginning of his career he was well-loved and his mass was well-attended. People would come to his church for the gentle, loving spirit of his sermons, 
even though it was outside of town and a little too far for convenience. But he was worth it. He kept his doors open and was never upset if people arrived late or were noisy while he spoke. He kept a neat little garden around his church where he let children play and happily trample his roses. He kept the candles lit all through the night, in case someone in distress should need his help at any hour. He did not judge those who refused to believe as he believed. He did not judge those who his gospel deemed were sinners. He led his church and his life by his own heart and his own compass, and it never steered him wrong. But, as the years went by, his congregation grew smaller and smaller and smaller. As the city grew larger and busier, those who lived there no longer felt the crowded, busy journey to church worthwhile. The church's tithe box grew emptier and emptier. The church grew colder and colder. And the priest grew hungrier and hungrier. But he was not unhappy. He simply kept his doors open for Mass, even if no one came. He simply started to grow vegetables in his rose garden. He simply lit fewer candles at night. One night, however, there was a great storm. The city had seen it coming. The sky had been foreboding and dark the whole day, and with the sunset came heavy rains and crashing thunder. The little priest in his little church blocked up his windows as well as he could and locked the door up tightly. However, he left a candle burning in his little room in the attic all night so that any travelers in need of aid would know that he was there to help. From his little room, he could see the sky illuminated instantly by a huge flash of lightning, and it shook him to his core. It wasn't the white kind of light that lightning usually brought on. It was, instead, a darker shade of orange. Almost red, perhaps. Almost the shade of fire. It made its way across the sky more slowly than lightning ought to, and the priest took note. As the sky lit up, he could see the silhouettes of the large wooden buildings of the old city, tall and proud in the night. And the priest couldn't help but feel afraid and isolated in his little church. It had been so long since anyone from the city had come to visit him. As lightning struck and thunder roared and the rain pounded against his windows in the simple wooden roof of his attic, dripping in through the cracks that he couldn't afford to fix, that fear rippled through him, and he prayed he could get through this night unharmed, and that that fire-orange lightning might pass his little church by. Hours went by, and he thought the storm had almost subsided. Looking out the window, his hand still clasped in prayer. He hoped he was right when, suddenly, one large flash of lightning 
brighter and redder than the first one, crashed through the sky. It lit up the whole city skyline again, and, like electric fingers reaching down from the clouds, it touched the tallest point there. But the red skyline did not disappear with the lightning. In fact, it got brighter. It mixed with gold and orange, and soon the priest realized with a sinking heart that a great fire had broken out. It spread from one thatch roof to the next. Even through the rain, he could hear the crackling of wood and the screams and cries of panicked citizens. He ran down the stairs, through the chapel and out the large doors. He thought to make his way to his tiny stable, where his horse screamed and kicked in fright. But with the strength of the rain and the roar of the thunder, he knew he could never make it to the city alive. He was not a young man. And what help could he give? What could he do to help this city, where the great fire now held sway? He watched from outside of his church for hours, helpless and weeping. He remembered members of his congregation from years past, and his heart was heavy with the tragedy they must be enduring. Surely, he thought, most of them could have escaped, made their way to the river, and waited the fire out. And when they needed somewhere to stay or someone to help them, he would be there to greet them, he swore on that night, as he always was. When the rain stopped, the fire still rippled across the old buildings. So large was this disaster that the little priest knew that it could be days until it stopped blazing. It might be weeks for the smell of burning and ash to die away. Exhausted from a night of sorrow and worry, he turned from the horrible sight and returned to his church. He opened the doors, and he stopped in his tracks instantly at the sight he saw within the chapel. All of the candles were lit, and the place was bright as it had ever been on a Sunday morning in its prime. More surprisingly, all of the pews were full. People sat in them, old, young, large, and small, and they all faced the altar so he couldn't see their faces. He knew they could not have entered while he stood outside. He would have seen them do so. So the question became, where did they come from? How were there so many of them here, at this hour which was now the still dark early morning? He walked through the aisle, his hands shaking, his feet still bare and his hair and nightdress alike soaked through with rain. He moved towards the altar and then turned to see who sat before him. The faces he knew. 
men, women, children he used to know, now grown to adulthood, families and individuals he remembered from years ago when they visited him every single week. They sat in the same place they sat long ago, and their faces were exactly as he remembered them, except for one small detail. They were burning. Not in the way that they had done when they died. Only hours, perhaps even merely minutes ago. Not burning from the outside, from a fire that had been caused by a terrible, aggressive bolt of lightning. But burning, rather, from the inside. Not in a way that seemed to cause them any pain. In fact, they all seemed to be in a state of peace and calm. But they burned in a way that they glowed orange and red through their skin. And the light seeped out of their eyes. And as they opened their mouths to pray or to sing, it came out of their mouths as well. They were light, with a gorgeous, warm light, and it caused them no apparent distress. In fact, they all seemed to be happy to be here, at the little chapel that they used to visit regularly, with the man who had always made them feel welcome. My door is always open. He had told them so many times before. He left the candles on for them at night. And this night, they had lit the candles for him. He didn't speak. He had no sermon prepared. They whispered prayers to themselves and some hummed or sang quietly little hymns they remembered from long ago. And when the sun came up, they faded away, and the church was dark again. He puzzled over this occurrence for many weeks, even many months. The congregation did not come back the next night, or the night after that, or the night after that. It seemed they were gone. Perhaps they had found their peace after such a terrible and destructive night. He hoped for that for them. But, one year from that night, a great storm came again and woke him in the night. That red lightning broke through the sky again. And he heard, coming from below him in the chapel, the sound of singing and chanting and humming. And the golden crowd of people was there again, waiting for him. This night, he performed his mass as he always had before. They responded when asked, they sang when told, and they were moved by his sermon. 
Every year on this night, you see, the red lightning would come, and the congregation came to hear the priest, and by morning they would be gone again. I visited the priest once, I think. I seem to remember. I spoke with him and asked him about the crowd of glowing ghosts. Do they still come? Every year, on the same night, the priest answered. What do you think it is they want? I asked him. I can't say for sure, but I think it may be somewhere to go and be together. For everything else was lost in the fire. Though they're at peace, they have nowhere else to visit one another, he answered. And then he smiled. Or maybe, perhaps, they simply missed me as much as I missed them. Who can say really why spirits do what they do? People say that ghosts have unfinished business, or that they're unrestful and need to be released. Sometimes, I think... They just want to visit the places and the people they want to. And sometimes, in life, we don't make time to visit those places and those people as often as we would like. Maybe ghosts simply are able to seize the opportunity to make up for lost time, for they have all the time in the world. Years later, when the priest died, I went to visit the chapel on the anniversary of the Great Fire. No one was there. No ghosts. No congregation. No priest. I suppose they missed the person no longer, for he had joined them. And the place was of little consequence after all. But in the attic window, there was a little tiny flickering light almost like that of a candle, a tiny beacon in the darkness of the night. What a nice bright story for me to tell in this awful, dark place. We all have a fire within us, even me with my darkness. I had it so recently I'm certain I will find it within myself again and light this whole place up. Until then, I will remember my stories. I can... I can still see them all. I mustn't stop seeing them all. I'm not sure what you think I look like. I've described certain elements of my lovely and terrible appearance over the last 76 episodes, but I hope you can still see me too. Even when I'm here, in this darkness. See me. And I'll see you later. Good night, my friends.
Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 77 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen. If you don't know me by now, I'm the writer, producer, composer, performer, general podcastress of the show. I hope you've been having a great September. First of all, I have a couple of thank yous this week. First, a huge thanks goes to Ingrid, my new Patreon supporter, who pledged $3 a month to supporting what we do. Thank you so much, Ingrid. It really means a lot to me. If you want to support the show like Ingrid, you can become a patron by checking out our page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Every monthly patron receives access to the soundtrack of the show, which is constantly being updated. A second thank you goes out to a publicly anonymous someone. I know who it is, and I'm so grateful to this person, who donated not one, not two, not even three, but eight coffees to the show on coffee.com. Thank you so much for your support. I'm so touched. You can support the show like this anonymous somebody by buying me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Another great way to help is to leave a review for us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our Facebook page. You can also check me out on my social media pages. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, and on the Facebook page and my YouTube channel, both called on a dark cold night. You can also support the show by listening on the free radio public app, where every listen goes towards me as your podcaster being paid for each listen. Also, you can check out our merch. We have On a Dark Cold Night t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Thank you again for listening and for your patience with my changing release schedule. Again, as always, I'm so touched and honored at the support I've been receiving for the show, both on social media and through my crowdfunding pages. I really have wonderful listeners, and I appreciate you all very much. Have a wonderful night, my friends. Take care. <laughs>